0: Hi, everyone. This is April, host and producer of Chicks on Bikes. Welcome to the August edition of our show. We are proud to be a part of the Bike Talk mission, and we've got an awesome, awesome show lined up for you today. We're going to start out with a calendar and book review, and uh, we're going to hear from our East Coast correspondent, Robin Bailenga, and I've got a couple other things in store, so hang on tight, and we'll be right back. Okay, cool, so we have some announcements. Last night, Nick and I were hanging out with Kitty Cat at an undisclosed location, and her and I are gonna try to do some shows together, which will be cool. Wish she was here right now. We could talk about that. Uh, We had a lot of fun, and I think we have good energy. So she'll be reporting on on what she's interested in, and I'll be reporting on what I'm interested in. And hopefully we... Not hopefully, but we'll definitely be able to mash up our styles and get some groovy content for you guys. Hopefully we'll get some... um, video out of that as well. So keep keep your eyes peeled and ears peeled and we'll obviously have more announcements on that. Um, be sure to check out the Chicks on Bikes SoCal Facebook page and I'm um, also tweeting now at Chicks on Bikes Go is my Twitter handle Chicks on Bikes Go. One other very awesome piece of news is that I was invited by Tess Lada. Uh Tess has a line called BC Chica and you can buy her cool t-shirts and bike related gear at her Etsy store. She is a multi-genre artist and a good friend of mine. She's co-hosting uh, one of the interviews that will be on this show later. Anyways, Tess Lada is awesome awesome lady and um, she has been involved with the West Hollywood Bicycle Coalition formation and how that has come to pass is through the bicycle task force so last weekend she invited me to go to the first meeting of the West Hollywood Bicycle Coalition so I am now I guess what we could call a founding member of the West Hollywood Bicycle Coalition which I'm so excited about. So keep keep out keep excuse me, keep your ears open for some more information on that. There'll be rides and um, other good stuff coming out of that. Um, Tess and I also did a socks and sandwiches ride last weekend where we rode with the girls' bike gang, the Bell Stars, um, and passed out socks and sandwiches to homeless people in the Hollywood area, teens and adults. And we passed out probably 40 packages of socks and sandwiches to homeless people. Uh, so if you're interested in doing that and... Um, you are a woman and you'd like to ride with us, please uh, email me through the Facebook page or uh, you can send me a message on Twitter as well. Next up is the calendar. Okay, I'm going to read the calendar now. This is a mixture of events that I have handpicked and I constantly solicit for call for events via the Facebook page. You can also send them to me on Twitter. So I've just picked a variety of different types of events that I'd like to highlight uh, for the next 30 days and um, they're local, they're long distance, short distance, touring, I just try to pick a little bit of everything because I like to ride my bike in many different fashions. So here we go. These are not in any order. Um, The classic climb of the Sierras, Monday, August 29th to Friday, September 2nd. So that's coming up. That's in Bishop. It's a touring event, five days, 280 miles. Uh, This is... um, focus on climbing. So the climbs in this area range from 8 to 22 miles with grades averaging 6 to 8 percent and sections of 9 to 17 percent. Each day we offer one main climb with an optional second climb. So it says, don't let the mileage fool you. These are big climbs. So if you wanted to get some beautiful California desert and craggy peaks in towards the end of the summer and work on your climbing, here you go. This ride is for you. The phone number is 714-267-4591. The next ride I want to tell you about is the Emigrant Trails Bike Ride, and that's out of Sonoma, California. It's also a touring event, Friday, September 9th to Sunday, September 11th. Um, It is three days of cycling, camping, and fun. And uh, what else does it say? Two nights of camping at the KOA, delicious catered meals, different route options, themed rest stops, and you get an official t-shirt. I believe there is some fundraising associated with this because all of the money goes to... Well, I'm going to give you guys the phone number because I don't know. So the number, if you're in Sonoma and you want to do this type of ride is 916-444-5900. It is coming up, um, but that sounds like something fun to do over that three-day stretch. September 9th, 10th, and 11th. Again, that's called the Immigrant Trails Bike Ride, and that's out of Sonoma. The next event is one day only, and it is the sponsored by Audi. It's called the Audi Best Buddies Challenge, and it is in Carmel near Hearst Castle. It's a touring event as well, and uh, they are going to offer you 162, 35, or 15-mile bike ride down the Majestic PCH Or a 3K walk, 5K run led by, oh, Olympic gold medalist Carl Lewis. That would be interesting. I would love to do that. That sounds like fun. Um, So the number for that is 1-800-718-3536. And if anybody wants to go to that, uh, let me know. Maybe we can plan a trip. Oh, actually, September 10th. I don't think I can go. But anyways. Sorry about that. (laughs) Okay, here's a big one. It's called the Southern Tier. Sunday, September 18th to Monday, November 21st. Those of you who wanted to get into doing some heavy-duty touring, here is an option for you. It leaves out of San Diego, and it goes all the way to St. Augustine, Florida. Huh, kind of reminds me of Michelle Appel's ride. Where's Michelle? We've, we had Michelle as a guest on the show. I'd love to hear from her. Um, she rode her bike from California to Florida. So this is via the Adventure Cycling Association. It is a 3,160-mile, 65-day guided self-contained road bike camping tour from San Diego to St. Augustine. Florida, some indoor stays, shared cooking, and 14 rider limit. The phone number on that is 1-800-755-2453. Okay, the next ride is the CAF Back-to-Back Century Challenge in Southern California. It is Saturday, September 10th to Sunday, September 11th out of Solana Beach, an epic two-day ride that guarantees rewards that last of a lifetime. The exhilaration that comes from conquering 200 miles of the most scenic and demanding terrain makes this more than an average ride. It's a journey that combines the passion for cycling with the chance to change perceptions. So, the 200-mile journey begins and ends at Fletcher Cove Park in Solana Beach. Cyclists will depart Saturday morning. September 10th on a 100-mile route that follows the stunning California coastline. If that sounds interesting to you, the number is 858-210-3529. Here's another longer ride, the California Coast Classic, Saturday, September 17th to Saturday, September 24th, San Francisco to L.A. This is a touring event, and... um, I believe there's some fundraising associated with this for the Arthritis Foundation. Um, Yes, the Arthritis Foundation California Coast Classic Bicycle Tour is a spectacular 525-mile, 8-day tour from SF to LA. And the number for that is 415-356-5483. The next event I want to tell you about is the Tahoe Sierra Century. It's Saturday, September 24th, and it's in goes from uh, Squaw Valley. Well, it's in the Lake Tahoe Truckee area, and this is the description. Local fundraiser offering 30, 60, and 100-mile options in the scenic Lake Tahoe area support our local school band program. Isn't that great? I mean, we have a lot of charity rides in the public eye that are for big charities and I picked this one because it's it's for the school band program I just think that's great um it's not great that they don't have a school band but or it's not great that they need to fundraise but anyways um I would do that if I had the time so it is fully supported, it includes rest stops, lunch stops, and an after-ride dinner at the finish line, which is in Squaw Valley. So that would be a lovely weekend trip, and it says it's uh, the 30-mile is a flat, fun ride. The 60-mile metric has 2,500 feet gain, and the 100-mile century for real challenge was 7,000 feet of climbing. The phone number for that is area code 530-448-9062. And uh, now we're going to leave California and go to our lovely Pacific Northwest. I picked three events to talk about in Oregon because these look like so much fun. The first one is the Bike to Beer Fest. So uh, anybody heading to the Northwest or um, up there... Give a shout-out to these folks. Um, These three rides look like a lot of fun. So I'm wishing that I could be there in spirit, so I'm going to go ahead and give you the info. The first one is called the Bike to Beer Fest, and that is Saturday, September 17th in Portland. It is a special event, it's called. And the event description is 15 hop works, beers on tap, five live bands on a keg-supported stage. Gold sprints, roller races, bike competitions, performances, and flatlanders. The contact phone in Portland is 503 459 4508. The next ride is Tour de Lab, Sunday, September 11th in Portland. Get all dogged up and head out on a bike tour of all four Lucky Lab brew pubs on Tour de Lab a benefit for Dove Lewis Emergency Animal Hospital on Sunday, September 11th, two routes, the puppy 18 miles and you visit three pubs, or the big dog which is 35 miles and you visit four pubs. Beer, bikes, dogs, what more is there in life? The contact number is 503-459-4508. The final oregonian ride i want to celebrate and give you the info on is called bike the rogue it's also on the uh, weekend of um september 10th uh, saturday september 10th location is gold beach it's a touring event and the course starts at the curry county fairgrounds and uh, the two routes are 40 and 22 miles there's a 35 dollars entry fee You get a shirt if you're one of the first entrants, and the phone number on that is 541-247-7246. I took a little side note, a month-long camping trip to Oregon the end of last summer, and these were the types of rides that I would have loved to go on. So if anybody's heading out of town, I'm just giving you some entertainment options. So the local event that I want to highlight which relates to our interview, um, this is the last event on the calendar and then we'll get right into our interview for the, the show. Okay, Kelly Marie Martin, who we had the pleasure of interviewing this week, is doing a show at the Armory Center of the Arts, which is here in Pasadena, and that's on um, Raymond Avenue. The phone number is 626-792-5101. Kelly's exhibit is called Bike It, and it is portraits of my BC Pandia. BC Pandia literally means bike gang. And uh, so Kelly uses a large format camera to celebrate riders in her bicycle gang with their bikes. And there are a lot of other activities surrounded, surrounding this exhibit, so I'm going to let you guys go ahead and look on the Armory Center for the Arts website for more information.
1: Hello, Hello, this is Robin with Pedal Chic.
2: Hey Robin, it's April calling from Six on Bikes Radio.
1: Hi, how are you?
2: I'm good, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great, excited to be at another part of the
2: show. Yeah, it's good to talk to you, it's great to talk to you and have you on another episode. Thanks for making the time for us. And um, and we'd love to talk to you about, <clears throat> excuse me, what you're working on um, let me just give everyone a fill-in. If you don't know who Robin is, she is our East Coast correspondent. She is in Greenville, South Carolina, excuse me, South Carolina, and she has a women's specific cycling store. I'll let her tell you more about that. And um, we are going to talk about partners. Is the theme today partners, partnerships, and uh, what do you Got going for us?
1: Well, as you know. Pedal Chic is, like you said, a women-specific cycling and athletic boutique, and we are all about empowering women, and the part of empowering women is partnering with other women to support each other, clearly to grow the sport of cycling, not only as a competitive sport, but Pedal Chic more focuses on just getting people moving and letting them feel good or helping them feel good uh, no matter what they choose to do. And then looking at your partnership episode, I on the East Coast, some exciting things that are going on from a partnership standpoint, I got a phone call from a friend of mine. Her name is Kim Cross. She's with uh, Southern Living Magazine. She called me and she said, cool. Robin, I wanted to um, see if you would be a part of a bicycle organization that she has developed. It's called Magic City Cycle Chicks. And it's a women's... I know, it's such a great name, and um, it's a WINS group out of Birmingham, Alabama, which is where Southern Living is headquartered. And she she started this group just like seven months ago, and she has grown it to 416 members in that short amount of time.
2: Oh, Um, my gosh, that's amazing.
1: I know. I uh, wish I had her skill for social networking, but... (laughs) We're still working on that, but she has um, asked Peddle Sheik to be a part of partnering. She's one of her goals is to build a network of networks of women cycling groups okay. throughout the southeast.
2: And okay. she Love wanted it. to,
1: and as she had just happened to ask me this week before you and I chatted, if we could work together, and we're partnering to put together a Women's Cycling Gear Expo demo in Birmingham and, again, trying to make the reach the whole southeast, which is very exciting. We're still working on the date. Um, again, that's uh, Magic City Cycle Chicks, C-H-I-X, and you can find them on Facebook.
2: Okay. That sounds great. That sounds great. Wow. We have a lot to learn from her for uh, in regards to social networking. Those numbers seem just astronomical to me, so what an inspiration.
1: Yes, yeah, she did a mountain bike clinic. The most recent one was a two-day mountain bike camp, and it drew 60 women from eight states, and she actually had Marla Streb come down to coach them, and she's got another clinic coming up this weekend, so she's doing some great things, and um, I'm sure Chicks on Bikes would love to be a part of that as well as, you know, Pedal Chic wants to be a part of that, so we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Make happen on the East Coast for you
2: guys, yeah, and we can um possibly have the West Coast chapter of her network of networks start out here.
1: Oh, that would be awesome. I'm sure she would be very excited. Um, something else I was that came across my desk in the last few days is uh, you know how we cyclists love our coffee, and yes. At our bike shops, at Pedal Chic, we always love to, or after our bike rides, we always love to serve coffee and have everybody hang out and talk about bikes and riding. And I was approached by a gentleman named Jeff Ernst. He has a company called High Cadence Coffee. Uh
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, I've heard of them. I have heard of them. They're in Montana?
1: He is, and he just found us through... um, some mutual friends on a uh, chat for during the U.S. pro or the yeah, the U.S. pro tour, which is in Greenville, where I live. But um, the interesting about thing about High Cadence Coffee and going back to partnerships is that you can buy it wholesale or you can buy it direct. But uh, 15 cents of every dollar goes directly to support women's cycling efforts. And I found that as a women-specific cycling shop. Owner, very intriguing.
2: Sure, sure. Uh, um, do you carry a lot of products in the store that do give um, percentages to? or do you, I guess, um, let me rephrase that. Do you find that it's easy to find products to carry who give percentages to causes or empowerment or nonprofits? Um, and is that something that you um, you look for?
1: Well, also interestingly enough,
2: um, I am
1: working with a company in Greenville called Times Two. And it okay. is, we are working on a concept of something that Pedal Sheet can do to contribute. It, and their basis is when you buy one, it's like the Tom McCann brand of shoes, when you buy one product, another product, when you buy a pair of shoes from them, a pair of shoes is given to a third world country.
2: Right, Tom, um, um, one, yeah.
1: Right, so we're working on a relationship now where when you buy, a, 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 let's say, a bicycle from us, then a trike will be donated or something. We're still working on the details, but... A lot of what I see that's already in the works is echo, environmentally friendly, whether or not, you know, how the bottles are produced, um, not a whole lot of, of donations. This is one of the first real donations I've seen specifically to women cycling.
2: Okay. And, and are they female-owned and operated, you know?
1: They have a female partner in the Times, too, but... Um, the high cadence coffee is not
2: interesting, uh, and and so they just must have a soft spot for women cycling, and, and do they see, or is this some just part of their business model that do, do they support? Does high cadence coffee, do you know, if they support other, um, cycling subgroups, or I don't, know, I don't want to call women a subgroup, but um, well, do from they
1: support what? other? From what I'm seeing is that they, they support individual athletes and coaches and they're focusing on the increased awareness and breaking down of the intimidation of the sport through events and scholarships. So I would assume, not having asked him if he was interested in or involved in any other genres, I would assume that he has a, a specific interest in, in women. I haven't um, investigated it that far.
2: Okay. Wow. Well, that sounds like an amazing partnership, and and uh, I can't wait to hear more about it. I'm I, I'm interested in this High Cadence Coffee brand. Well, they uh, have some
1: coffee on the way to me, and I will let you know exactly what I think
2: next time you ask. That sounds wonderful. And so, what about partnerships? And and how um, how do you think that women benefit from working together, and um, do you, have you been able to use cycling as a, as a camaraderie or bonding activity um, and extend that into your business, or do you, do you see them as linked?
1: Well, my business is totally in, involved with helping women achieve their goals. And um, whether it's doing their first triathlon and helping them pick the right bicycle, helping them get the right apparel, we are so involved in supporting one another. And you do get, you do have some uh, personal conversations, and especially as you take somebody down a road, we do group rides. We'll break off and grow some other rides. So there's a tremendous amount of camaraderie. Women tend to be more nurturing and We support one another in our efforts, so when you partner, everybody grows. One of the things that is important as we enlighten people to the importance of women in cycling, I mean, I just got my um, National uh, Bike Dealers Association newsletter, and they just announced the new board members, none of which are women, none of which the previous board members are women, and um, no wonder we have a hard time growing in the cycling world because there are no women in leadership positions. Um, there is one woman on um, the donor board for USA Cycling. I have attempted to get in touch with her, but I have not help, heard from her yet. So it will be interesting to see the support that we get from other women because when we do support each other, again, we grow. We get more done together. Yes,
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. absolutely.
1: I mean, look what Kim's done in just a short amount of time.
2: Right, right. About 400 riders. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, I look forward to meeting her. A Facebook
2: page?
1: I'm sorry?
2: She has a Facebook page for the Mag- Magic she... City Riding Chicks.
1: It's Magic City Riding Chicks. Oh, wait, hold on. Let me let me get that exact address for you. I'm sorry. Magic okay. City Cycle Chicks. And Chicks Magic
2: like...
1: Yes, yeah, C-H-I-X.
2: Okay, great. All right. I'll, I will link that page to the Chicks on Bike SoCal page, and we can all be connected through our social media.
1: Absolutely. And, um, you know, like Pedal Chic on Facebook for your listeners, too, and see what we can do together to grow.
2: Yes, that sounds great. And I I will... Um, be constantly linking back to our page so we can um, people can find you if they're they're traveling to across the U.S. and need some support. Um, anything going on locally that you want to talk about?
1: Well, we have this weekend. We are clearly gearing up for fall. We're excited to go to Interbike and see what else is new out there and um, get a chance to meet some new women, and uh, this weekend, we Pedal Chic is participating in the Upstate Women's Show, so we are a part of this growing phenomenon of women in business and uh, just having a good time, but as far as the cycle world, there's a a Team Diva cycling camp that some friends of ours do, and if you'll
2: hold on a moment. That sounds like fun.
1: Yes, it's...
2: um, um, Get me the information, and I'm happy to post it on our page if you'd like.
1: Total Cyclist Diva Camp. Okay,
2: great.
1: They do a fall diva camp, and it sells out really, really quickly, but it's October 13th through 16th in uh, Newcastle, Virginia. And um, they had their last camp in Beaufort, South Carolina, and apparently did so well that, that they were asked to do a spring camp or excuse me, a fall camp, and they have gone from 12 attendees to 20. And they did announce their camp on Bicycle Radio recently, and they've got okay. pro cyclist Kelly Benjamin of Calavita and Chris uh-huh. Monteleone of Kenda on their, co- their coaching team, which is very exciting from a racing perspective. Um, Jordana is involved in creating diva gear, and um, camp is, as they say, bigger and better. But it's called, again, the Total Cyclist Fall Diva Camp. And great. if you're interested, you can go to um, Pedal Chic and go to our Facebook page and ask me some, or let me know, and I'll put you in touch with the
2: right people. That sounds great. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time out to connect today. And um, we love partnering with you and um, really excited to, to go to Interbike. Well, I guess we're going to be going to Interbike before the next episode.
1: Absolutely, we are. And we are going to have so much fun and connect with so many great women. Yes, we are. All right, my
2: dear. Well, you have a wonderful day and um, I will... Talk to you soon.
1: Okay. Thank you so much.
2: Talk with all of your events to suspend. Bye. Next up is the interview with
0: Kelly Marie Martin and Jen Hoffer. Can't wait. Welcome, everyone, to our very special interview of the month. Thank you all for being here. This is April Lemley, host of Chicks on Bikes. The theme of this August show is partners, And we can, everyone can feel free to touch on that if you like, but I think we're already doing that because we're squeezing four of us here into the (laughs) studio. (laughs) Um, Guests for tonight are, um, we're happy to have uh, Tess Lada again in the studio as Chicks on Bikes guest co-host. Tess is a multi-genre artist, writer, indie crafter, and cycling blogger. Jen Hoffer is poet, translator, social justice interpreter, teacher, knitter, bookmaker, and public letter writer, as well as member and co-founder of the City of Angels Ladies Bicycling Association, aka The Whirly Girls. And Kelly Marie Martin is a multi-genre artist and longtime cook and first ever paid employee of the Bicycle Kitchen, as well as a member of the City of Angels. L.A. Ladies, excuse me, Bicycling Association, the Whirly Girls. And we have Dave, our engineer.
3: Hey, Dave. Hey. Hi, Dave. (laughs) Cool. Um, This is Tess, and I also want to add, because we'll be talking about this, um, uh, Kelly's uh, current showing of photography, Bike It, Portraits of My BC Pandilla, is on view at the Armory Center for the Arts in Pasadena, Definitely get on the website for the Armory and find out details. Um, The collection is also captured in a book of the same title, published in 2009. Jen uh, recently finished installing a large-scale piece called Roads to California at the Center for Land Use uh, Interpretation in Utah. So we'll definitely be touching on that, uh, those two projects as well. So I think what we're going to open with is sort of your bicycling history, both of you, and we're, we'll circle back into advocacy um, and, you know, my uh, cooking into the sort of idea of the show with talking about gendered spaces, for sure, but, um, and, our, and, and fluid ideas of gender, for sure. So, you know, why don't you start, Kelly, tell us a little bit about your, your cycling history, when you got into cycling. and um, you know. Well, I'm... Um... First of all, thanks so much
4: for inviting us to come and be on the show. It's exciting to be here. Um, but then to just start with that, uh, I actually, I've been a cycling commuter my entire life. My, um, I grew up without a car. My wow. folks um, don't, neither one of them had their driver's license, and then my dad got his driver's license when I was 16. So um, he had basically had his driver's license for a year when he was teaching me. How to drive a car, and that didn't last very long so um so yeah so so cycling as a form of transportation has always naturally been a part of my like everyday being, so it's yeah i've just been i i didn't own um bought a car when I mo- moved down to Southern California to go to grad school, and um in between cars like um I forgot to put oil in my first car and basically froze you know f- froze out the engine, so um, in between having cars biked around and but you
5: would never forget to oil your chain
2: yeah exactly
3: (laughs) exactly was it weird um coming into such a heavy car culture as los angeles as someone who was really grew up with cycling consciousness was that
4: yeah definitely although um i feel like because i've always been i've always cycled in as part of traffic with cars you know from an early age um, it, it was never an intimidating factor to me to riding my bike. Um, you know, the, the main thing is that riding a bike always just for me was just more felt more natural than driving.
3: Wow. That would, I think that would be a really, I don't know. It was so the opposite for me just getting used to it. So I, I think that's pretty cool that it just felt like that was the way you should be doing transportation. So Awesome. So, Jen, what's what's your cycling history?
5: I was going to say a similar thing, that I had to get used to sharing the the, being on the bike and sharing the road with cars, and apropos partners or partnerships, it was really, um, I didn't learn to ride a bike until I was 10 or 11. The story goes that I learned to ride a bike because my younger sister learned to ride a bike, but Mm -hmm. I was told, my whole life, I was told, you're not athletic, you're artistic, you're smart, and... Um, I still actually will will say oh yeah, I'll go on that 50 mile ride but I'm not sporty at all like that's easy to do, mm-hmm. but I won't do anything sporty at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so come cycle with me it's not a sporty event. Um, <laughs> But when I started cycling in Los Angeles, it was really in, I mean, partnership connotes two people with this. It was really in a group of people that I learned to feel safe on the streets. And I learned all kinds of tips about how to make myself more visible and how to take space on the road in a way that's appropriate and legal, and, but also lets cars know that I have a right to be on the road. Um, So I was sort of a spotty on-and-off rider through college and graduate school, and then I lived for many years in Mexico City, whose bicycling culture has changed radically since I was there. When I was there, you were really taking your life in your hands if you got on a bicycle in that city. And I also love to look around and observe the world as I move through right. the world. And it was much easier to do that in Mexico City as a pedestrian or as a user of public transit, whereas on a bike, you were just like hanging on for dear life and trying not to die. Right. Um, and here I feel like there's a corollary. I see the world much more and, and very differently from the vantage point of my bicycle than I would if I were in a car, the same way that I saw the world differently as a pedestrian in Mexico City. So it was really in Los Angeles and through this Bici Pandia or bike, Bicycle Gang that uh, where Kelly's and my friendship started and a number of amazing friendships that are represented in Kelly's photo show and book um, that I started riding a lot in the city and sort of got um, much more comfortable on the bicycle. And now I ride pretty much everywhere I go except to my one very far away teaching job. So
3: in some ways, and I, I can relate to this because Dave was a messenger for years in Seattle and tried to get me on the bike you know, for a while and honestly, I didn't really get on it until LA. And I can relate to what you're saying about the group rides and groups of cyclists being important to sort of your process on the bike and learning how to handle it and learning about that. And I'm wondering, you said something about um, not seeing it as sort of athletic or yourself as athletic. Did that myth change for you as you began to ride the bike? I mean, did you I don't know. You were sort of saying you still sort of use a caveat
5: of I'm not, it's not really athletic even though I just rode 50 miles. But no, I don't yeah. see myself as athletic. I see anything I do as not athletic. Okay. <laughs> so okay. if I've ridden 50 miles, then <laughs> riding 50 miles is not athletic. Like to me, a sport is knitting. I'm ah, holding up for, okay. you, for you radio listeners. I'm holding up my knitting, which I brought here in my pannier. Yeah. Well, it's actually, I knit these little wristbands that are perfect for bicycling because they actually keep you really warm, but they don't get in the way of anything. Um, But yeah, that's my favorite sports are knitting and playing pool. Awesome.
3: Um, There was something else that, that you said, and I'm interested to hear both of you talk about it and anytime, just push me away if you've. Have anything to say april but um which she will uh is the idea of you were saying that you saw the world differently what what's what what perception did cycling give you kelly what perception has cycling give you um how's it opened that perception up and seeing the world differently
4: well um w- one of the first times that the whirly girls um kind of bonded was over this um, art show that neela was putting on in highland park where um, they asked, they invited the Whirly Girls to create these kind of yellow bikes, you know, from um, Amsterdam or Austin that would go between this gallery show, that would, multi-gallery show. And so we were working out of the bicycle kitchen, and we were working on these bikes and decorating them and naming them. And then we wrote a manifesto as to be included in the catalog of the show. And the one thing that we talked about was the bicycle site, that bicycle site um, allows the city to slow down and open up in ways that you can't see or perceive in a car. Right. And, you know, it definitely, you know, shifts your perception. And as a cyclist, makes you defensively proud of your city mm. because people there's such a you know stereotype of L.A. as a car centric place and Hollywood and, you know, that sort of then masks, um, which to me, Hollywood also kind of reads you know, um, white Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie right, sort of exactly. stars. And so it masks the, the concept that L.A. is very multicultural, very right. diverse, um, rich in neighborhoods that have different sights and sounds. And so yeah, we kind of coined the term in that manifesto of bike sight.
3: Yeah. So it's almost like a, the bike becomes a location for this community awareness. In some ways, you know what I mean? It's like it sounds like I feel similarly it's given me that perspective. I always loved
5: L.A., but I love it more Mm
4: -hmm. now, you know,
5: by bicycle. So similarly, yeah. Well, I was just going to say it's not just community awareness. It's a spatial awareness so that things that might zip by at 40 Mm -hmm. miles an hour. I mean, I normally ride between 12 and 14 miles an hour Mm -hmm. on my bicycle. That's pretty slow, and I'm stopping at lights. And so I know which... Mini market has a mural of a piece of watermelon right. that is the same size as the Virgen de Guadalupe wow. because I ride past it. Or I mm-hmm. know which taqueria has a mural of an entire cow. In a tortilla and an entire pig <laughs> I in a tortilla. <laughs> That's awesome. I, know, yeah. I have no idea what they're trying to imply with that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, have me not, me. I have not eaten there. I am an omnivore, but I have not eaten there. Um, but it also, I mean, I was noticing this actually because I was thinking about this interview and, and what I might, some of the things I might want to talk about. But as we rode here, we were stopped at a really busy corner. Just San Vicente just past Fairfax. Yes. And there were two buses that passed us. And I, I noticed really specific things about the people who got off the buses. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's not just spatial awareness of, of the geography of mm-hmm. the city and, and the details and observations and, that you can be attentive to as you ride, but also noticing people. And people say hi to you all the time when yeah. you're on a bike. And mm-hmm. I make an effort to smile at people yeah. or say hi to other cyclists, but also to public transit riders or to people waiting at... You know, waiting to cross the street or whatever. So it's this sense, and those might be completely fleeting interactions. Like I'll probably never see that guy again who got off the bus. The at tall, that super tall guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I think. Oh no! Just to piggyback on that, I was having this conversation with with someone I was riding with recently, where um, I came to the the conclusion of. Um, or just opened up the conversation of, I feel like I'm more alive when I'm riding my bike. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. I'm just more alive. Yeah. And I think it does sort
3: of foster this sense of community. You're you're making contact with people. And that's one thing for me is I'm a, totally a people person. Gather people around me all the time. And I like being able to have that connection. So I think that that's also... A, a really important aspect of it that you're hitting on, like seeing the world differently. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember when I interviewed Ben for the clamor article, Mm -hmm. Ben Guzman. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he said was handsome husband. Yes. Kelly's (laughs) handsome. husband. (laughs) Incidentally, a founder (laughs) of the bicycle (laughs) kitchen. Um, And he was saying that, you know, LA is so rad. It has everything that you want. And the worst part of it is that you got to get in your car to get around. And he said, cycling just just completely changes that relationship
5: mm-hmm. to the city. And that's exactly what you both are talking about. And, you know, I think it's partly, though, also, I mean, I was thinking while you were talking to us about cycling as a social activity and cycling as a community oriented right. um, action. And it is that for me very much. And it also guarantees I cannot arrive somewhere in a bad mood if I've biked to get there. But I also know people who have a very antagonistic relationship to either the city or to drivers or to pedestrians who do arrive in a bad mood because they've cycled and it's somehow not the experience they want it to be on the street. And I think it's partly what you bring to it. So, like, when we were riding here, we rode down Melrose to get here, and that's not a particularly wide street. It's not a route that I normally would choose to take because I feel a little bit crowded on that road. But we just took the right lane. The two of us were riding side by side and chatting as we rode and someone fairly gently but someone honked at us because they thought they were going to try to get past us which they could just go in the other lane to do that and instead of turning around and giving them the finger which a lot of cyclists would do Kelly turned around and gave them a huge smile and a wave (laughs) and so I think it's also partly sort of constitutionally what you bring Mm -hmm. to that experience makes it like that moment I mean that, that per, the person kind of chuckled and like end of story but right. I think if we had both turned around and been like you know screw you That's for honking right. at us we would have gotten we a have pretty different right reaction Yeah,
3: every way and that kind of enters
0: into the oh no it's, I mean, it's just it's the context right mm-hmm. the, the context through which you move through the world and, and yeah being joyful or being a pain in the rear is. Um...
3: and leaving the way I try to think about it too is you're leaving an angry driver for another cyclist and you're not doing anything about and let's jump into this because i have this question later that i want to talk about but here seems a good spot about about the cyclist each side even though we'll talk about bicycle advocacy but what i was going to say is you know you both have been involved in bicycle advocacy but what about the everyday cyclist who's not maybe involved in in advocacy organizations how do you see them the everyday cyclist being an everyday advocate. Do you know what I mean? Like, Hmm. does that make sense? So I guess what I'm asking for is if you think of... KTLA, for example, just did a really sort of yellow journalism, pretty irresponsible piece on the Taco Tuesday ride. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, younger folks ride, you know. Did that
4: parlay off the LA Times article? The
3: LA, uh, I'm not sure if I saw an LA Times article, but I just saw the LA Weekly article. Hmm. But there was an LA Times article. I, I might be
4: mixing it up. I I might have seen the KTLA thing through street, Streets Blog, but Okay, I'm not, I'm not sure.
3: Yeah. So- it was like a week ago, mm-hmm. and they did a pretty irresponsible piece on the rowdiness of the Taco Tuesday ride. But what was really interesting is they didn't show footage from the Taco Tuesday ride. Mm-hmm. They showed footage from like a year ago at the critical mass where folks were kind of taking the beat down, that, right. the historic critical mass.
0: Right. Um,
3: and really had one little snippet of an officer saying that there's different groups of cyclists. So I guess what I'm trying to drive at is as a cyclist, I do try, I'm trying to see how I can be an advocate to riders that aren't necessarily bringing an attitude in of don't leave a driver pissed off for another cyclist. And I'm just wondering, you know, I don't know, maybe it's kind of a nowhere question, but just thinking about the cyclist, the everyday cyclist as an advocate Mm -hmm. and how, how we can, I guess we're, you know, how we can do that as everyday cyclists.
4: Um, well, one, one thing I was going to say was, well, a couple of things is, first of all, it makes me want to give a shout out to Liz, um, Liz Elliott and Shay Sanchez of Cycle, the Cyclists Inciting Change Through Live Exchange, because mm-hmm. that's actually kind of the founding principle. This is, of course, my opinion, um, so I'm not speaking for them. An observation that they that's the kind of the founding principle of what their education practice is about it's a nonprofit organization that um, you know they have like a blog online but then there's also all these programs that they offer everything from teaching an adult who, who's never learned to ride a bicycle to do these um, urban expedition rides and they're you know they're one of their guiding uh, tenants is that you know how do you, how can you how can you relieve relieve the barrier to someone who wants to start riding a bike but is afraid by saying, you know, if what you want to do if, to get you out on your bike, if, if it's just to go to the Rite Aid that's like five blocks from your house, right. that's what you should do. Or instead of, you know, riding on Melrose, take um, Clinton, which is a few streets right. away, you know, and they're just very gentle and kind and open about right. about that kind of advocacy. Like I think they're an organization that is geared towards exactly what you're asking. But then the second thing for me is that I actually don't necessarily see myself as a cycling advocate. Um, One thing that being involved in the bicycle kitchen, you know, what we do is we teach people how to fix bicycles. And when we were first starting and first coming up with a, a mission for what the kitchen does, you know, we would get asked to come and do, you know, tabling at, like, Earth Day events or any kind of cycling thing, Mm. and one thing that we sort of realized is that this is what we do, is we teach people to fix bikes, and there's a natural advocacy that's an extension of Mm. that, and that when the Bicycle Kitchen first started in 2002, it was a hub for cyclists who would see each other at, like, either critical mass or maybe even just on the street, and there wasn't a lot of people cycling around that you would see and so we kind of naturally gravitated towards each other and it became like just a hub of a place to hang out and just by that Mm. and and just by hanging out and having fun it became like an advocacy center but that's not, this is again my my personal opinion, that's not exactly how we're couched.
3: Right.
0: Well I think by by educating someone they become empowered which would cause someone to be an advocate I mean you would think that they would people speak up more about something that they are confident <clears> than <throat> knowing how to, how but to I do think something.
5: It's, it's also that, I mean, I don't think this is overt with the Bicycle Kitchen or any of the other organizations that we've worked with or the groups that we've ridden with, but the idea that in the absence of any belief that the institutionalized systems could ever work for you, mm. because if you are not white or not male, mm-hmm. or not upper class, or not educated, mm-hmm. or not literate, or et cetera,
2: mm-hmm.
5: or queer, or et cetera, et cetera, right. it's very unlikely that the systems of privilege will suddenly right. turn around and decide mm-hmm. that they're going to respect your dignity as a human being. Right. So that kind of individual, um, what Cycle does in uh, in terms of empowering people to feel safe on the streets in whatever they want to do as a cyclist mm-hmm. whether that's going to the Rite Aid five blocks away or going to Leo Creo State Park 50 miles away right? Um, or at the Bicycle Kitchen empowering you to know how to fix your own brakes if you need to fix your brakes or right. whatever it is the thing w- that you want to do there um, while it can be Seen as atomized, like individual single people being empowered, what in a sense what that does is help people, I think, inhabit their own agency. Mm-hmm. That's right. Like, I, I can make these changes for myself, right. you know? Yeah. Um, and I was thinking when, while you were talking, Kelly, about how, the radical nature of simply being welcoming to others. And I remember my <laughs> yeah. first yes. introduction to the bicycle kitchen was I read a tiny article. It was probably one of the first articles ever written about the kitchen. It was 2003, maybe, and it was like a single paragraph in the LA Weekly, and I had... Two old Mexican delivery bikes with a double top tube and rod brakes, which you mm-hmm. may remember because yes. I rode one of them for many years. The skillet. <laughs> yeah, the skillet. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that was JP's. JP's was the skillet. Yeah. I can't take credit <laughs> for riding a bike called the skillet. That <laughs> the wasn't skillet. me. <laughs> awesome. But those bikes did weigh more than half my weight. <laughs> and I'm not a small person. Yeah. But... I read that article and my immediate reaction was, I really want to bring, but there was like something wrong with one of the brakes. I really want to bring my bike there, but I'm way too intimidated. These Mm. people are going to be way too cool for me. And it took me probably a year to get up the courage to go to the kitchen Mm -hmm. and every single person to a person, every single person there was so incredibly nice to me and so totally welcoming and invited me to come on rides and did I want to hang out. And did I want to come to the kitchen for this other event? And every next person was nicer than the last person I had met. And those became some of my closest friends in the whole city, including you. And, but that idea that you could walk into a space, and I think this actually, in a sense, leads into questions about gender and about That's bicycle right. bitching. Yeah, the is. idea that you can walk into there, a space know, and feel welcome
0: yeah.
5: is, in and of itself, in the world as it's currently constructed, pretty radical.
3: Yeah, Definitely. And and so you are, you're segueing perf- perfectly into um, you know, the idea of it's in some ways without even having an agenda to do so, you are politicizing the bike, mm-hmm. for sure. And um one of the ways that I'm really wanna talk about, especially in this space with this show and what it's about, is whirly girls and both the Bicycle Bitchin', which is the Monday night, still Mondays, Mm -hmm. right? Monday night uh, for um, female and all of that fluid, uh, and you know, identification of that word, trans folks, gender identified folks, for uh, to come in in that space and work on your bike, Mm -hmm. and learn bike mechanics the Whirly Girls by its name sort of identifies it as a gendered space. Mm -hmm. So I guess my first question is, you know, first of all, what's important about sort of making that kind of, sort of designating in some ways that boundary, If if, you know, that sort of, what's important about making that space available? What do you think is important about that?
5: What is important about that? why is it important? Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Well, I think um, there's some really basic reasons it's important. Um, one of them is male privilege, right. which I think um, and I think it's important in a myriad of ways. So that in the moment of creating a space like Bicycle Bitchin, and I was a, one of the original cooks at the kitchen when... Hi,
0: wait, can I interrupt? Um, for some people who might not know what Bicycle Bitchin is... It's for. Tess just said. It's Monday a night. Monday night. Yeah, it's Monday a couple night. hours it's at, every it's, week.
5: It's at the bicycle kitchen. It's actually three hours every week. It's mm-hmm. all the mechanics at the bicycle kitchen. Everyone at the bicycle kitchen is identified as a woman, either a trans woman or not a trans woman, a cisgendered woman. Um, and it's for women and women identified people um, only. So no men in the space. Great. Um, no one who considers themselves a man in the space. Um,
3: so the response to sort of male privilege. Mm-hmm you know, is where you were sort of going. Right.
5: It. And okay. so the idea that all of our interactions are inflected with the whole history and results of male privilege, right. white privilege, heterosexual privilege, right. cisgendered privilege, and to try to overtly respond to that in a way that supports a different way of being in the world, but also what I, where I was going, I, mm-hmm. I was involved in some of the earliest conversations at the Bicycle Kitchen around the existence of Bicycle Bitchin' and whether or not it was a good idea. And some of the men at the Bicycle Kitchen had a real problem with feeling excluded and they were like, "We're cool. We we can teach women right. to to wrench. We want to be there for right. women." And I mean, some of those men taught me to work mm-hmm. on bikes mm-hmm. and were mm-hmm. are and were amazing, right. respectful open-minded feminist teachers. I don't know if they would use the word feminist about themselves, but it felt like a completely supportive relationship. And still, there's something about walking into a space where thinking has been done about who's privileged in that space and where... The systems of privilege are ter- are purposefully turned on their head. That I think just changes the energy of the space. And it's not going to be a women only space forever. It's right. not like the whole bicycle kitchen is a women only space. That's mm-hmm. right. But just to have that space seems really important.
3: And I and I think the idea of allies, like we're talking about, what you're saying with the the folks, men at the kitchen, that are allies are important. And I agree. What you're saying is that the moment of it is having. The, the heterosexist and um, institutionalized privilege turned and starting that dialogue. Mm-hmm. Were you going to add,
4: Kelly? Oh, yeah, I was just going to say that the, the original concept for Bicycle Bitchin' was actually initiated by by the men of the kitchen oh, no. um, at the time when they approached um, Ma Bell and myself and Sam and Arisha about doing a bicycle bitchin'. Um, they had already come up with that term, and it's bitchin'. B i t c h e n. So bitchin' kitchen, um, and they you know offered the space. And initially, we actually at the old at the Los Angeles Eco Village, it was once a month, and it was run by women, but for anyone could come because the thinking was was that there's probably plenty of guys who are intimidated by a room full of guys. Working on bikes, who know, who seem to know what they're doing, and, and <laughs> Even so we know they don't know. Yeah, what doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we, you know, initially that that was the thinking, but then when we moved to the storefront at Heliotrope um, Drive, it became apparent that there needed to be a space where it was all women. When so, when we first started, all women run and and just women only, and that was it was for all of those reasons that that Jen's saying and. There were even some women who were saying, yeah, but, you know, it's segregation right. or, you know, the the thinking would be would, that eventually it would evolve so that there would be no need for, for bicycle bitching. But again, um, you know, it's a concept that goes across um, co-ops, you know, bicycle co-ops. Right. And, and the bicycle co-op movement around the country and, you know, safe to say, like maybe Canada, too, they all kind of have, a, you know, anarchistic, um, you know, radical politic driven mentality behind them and there's a really great co-op which i was trying to remember the name of it in arizona where their women and trans night made a zine called everyone is welcome and it was all about that like when you're confronting systems of power that um if you're kind of fighting that that it's called you know you're fighting but if you are creating a space you're actually organizing right and so that that what the idea is is that what you're allowing Um, women, what you're allowing women to do and trans to do is to dismantle those systems of power by offering this, you know, because another argument that sometimes comes up is like, well, what if, you know, if we had like just blacks only night, you know, like that would be like, you know, Jim Crow or segregation. And the whole thinking is, well, you know, if there were African-American writers who came into the space that said, hey, you know, we feel like we would like to have a space Then of course you know you would say sure why not you know and in fact one night for a while there there was a a solid intention to make one night just Spanish speaking only wow you know for those same sort of reasons but it's all about you know whether or not whether or not there are the people to staff the space you know and so so bicycle bitching has gone through some ebbs and flows and right now we've got a really solid crew of wrenches who are just really you know kicking ass and anecdotally. Plenty of of women and trans have said, I probably would have never come to the bicycle kitchen if there wasn't bicycle bitchin'.
5: I think the other thing that happens is, I mean, you could think of bicycle bitchin' as a gateway drug to the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a little bit like riding in a group. I know I have many, many friends who see the way that I conduct my life transit-wise and say, I've always wanted to ride, but I'm scared to ride in L.A. And I'll bring them on a group ride because there's safety in numbers. If there's 100 people with you, you... thinking about what happened in Baldwin Hills, but one hopes that right. you won't get plowed yeah. into. Um, and then they start riding. And now I, have, I can think of, you know, five people who are like incredible, powerful riders who ride all the time in their lives and started out on a group ride. And it's sort of like, mm-hmm. uh, I think there's a, a corollary where you come to Bicycle Bitch and you feel comfortable. You sort of get your sea legs with working on a bike. And then you might just come to a regular kitchen night because whatever, you have something else to do on a Monday night or you've <laughs> met someone and that you want to hang out with at kitchen or, right. or whatever happens but i think it's really important to have those spaces and similarly in terms of turning the systems of privilege and power on their head mm-hmm. to have a group called the city of angels ladies bicycling right. association also known she as the whirly girls that, where yeah. most of the rides are open to anyone who's willing to ride under that name to ask to say to anyone this is going to be a totally fun amazing ride but you have to be willing to call yourself a whirly girl right because, I, you know yeah what does that do mm-hmm.
3: which i think that Which I think that um, goes back to in some ways what we were talking about, about how the bicycle, it's a natural, um, like you said, a location or site for this kind of a moment because it does put you firsthand with community. And um, I think that it makes sense that you would challenge that through the bicycle. And I love that, you know, in Seattle, there used to be every once in a while with one of the bands I played in, we, we had a guy in our band but we identified ourselves as a feminist metal band and you know he would in solidarity wear dresses sometimes yeah. and wigs and stuff mm-hmm. but it was cool because it was a way to just fuck with that idea and, mm-hmm. and as we were talking in the sort of email interview the sort of okay, the idea
0: <laughs> what? I don't know if we can use the F word but we'll
3: find out oh okay <laughs> it's kill radio man yeah. But anyway, just the idea of, of just sort of messing with that. And it makes sense that, that, that would happen. So you di- have actually seen, I'm sure, but I guess I want to, maybe is there an art, art way you, you have seen women sort of come out and, and, trans folks or whoever wants to come into the bitchin or the kitchen, come out feeling strong and powerful around the bicycle. That's definitely been a moment that that's happened for you over the years repeatedly Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yes. And brought sure. people to cycling with us. Yes, it.
4: definitely, without a doubt.
3: Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, we actually
4: um the um, you know good girl Dinette in Highland Park. Yeah. Uh, the woman who's the proprietor of that, she used to bring like vegan baked goods to us out of appreciation. So we get baked goods. <laughs> <Nice.
0: laughs> baked goods from a lady. Yeah. <laughs> Are the Whirly girls
5: active right now? Well, we have been um, <laughs> Active individually as avid cyclists and havers of lots of fun in our city, but we haven't been riding together so much. But in conjunction with Kelly's show at the Armory Center for the Arts, um, there are actually two rides in conjunction with the show. One is simply organized by us with someone from Cycle. Um, And someone from Flying Pigeon um, that is unconnected to the Whirly Girls, except insofar as we are Whirly Girls. But then the closing, and that that ride is September 23rd. It's a spoken art ride, and it will um, leave from the armory at, I should know what time. Seven? I think we said seven. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe meet at seven, ride at 7.30 on September 23rd. It's a Friday, and that will be going to a number of different sites around Pasadena, focusing on art and poetry. Um, and then on October 2nd, the Whirly Girls are leading a ride from Union Station up to the Armory Center for the Arts, and people could join it if they don't want to ride that long. They can join at different points, and the Whirly Girls will then be serving an afternoon tea with home-baked goods at the show as the closing of the show. Yeah, in the park across the street. Yeah, in the park yeah. across the street. So um, the Whirly Girls are about to ride again, and I have yeah. a feeling that we'll be doing some more organizing yeah. in the near future.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. And And so where can people find that information? they wanted to follow up on this
5: they could email um jen at at jenhoffer at gmail.com or kelly or you and you can say your email in a second or you could check the armory center for the arts website
3: okay great all right so that so that's a perfect segue into um you both as artists as well as cyclists and uh community builders absolutely um I want to kind of hear about your, each of your shows that are, that are happening right now. Jen, why don't you start and tell us about what you just uh, put in in Utah?
5: Sure. Well, I actually have not installed it yet because I was fixing a bicycle instead of installing my show. Because <laughs> I'm
3: emailing you and you know, what are you doing in Utah? So, um,
5: so first of all, I have, to, I have to correct. The title is no, is no longer Roads to California. Okay. That used to be the title. Um, and that is the name of the quilt pattern I used. The title is now Uncovering uh, a Quilted Poem Made from Found and Foraged Materials from Wendover, Utah. It's a really, cool. It really rolls off the tongue. It's a really easy title to
1: <laughs> say.
2: <did> <laughs> <laughs> um,
5: and this piece came out of a residency I had at the Center for Land Use Interpretation in Wendover. Their base is here in Culver City, um, but they have sites in Houston, in... I think they had one in Albuquerque for a little while. They have one in Wendover, Utah, in Barstow, in Troy, New York, um, and then in a few different mobile locations. Um, and I, as a poet, as any good poet, I became completely disillusioned with writing. Ah, oh, <laughs> girl, I'm with you. I know. So, And I love to craft. I love to make <laughs> handmade books and knit yeah. things. And I started uh, making quilted poems where I would mm. take paper um, almost as sort of an exercise in natural history. I would either go thrifting or go dumpster diving and find paper materials and then make them into quilt patterns. So in Wendover, I asked a number of local folks to donate materials. I had a drop box at the public library, and I also went door-to-door to to a number of businesses. And I got a bunch of materials, and there's a quilt pattern called The Road to California, which is where the original early draft of the title came from, that I used, which is from the time of the Western Expansion, when there were many people traveling through that space um, to get to California. And I ended up making a 25-square quilt out of material that I either found and foraged or was donated to me, Um, that is about to be put on display in Wendover and then hopefully will travel elsewhere and come here. But So it's basically an exercise in thinking about natural and unnatural histories through sort of the material realities of a place and thinking about people's memory um, and relationship to place through things like photographs or newspaper articles or postcards or whatever it was they chose to give me.
0: So it's all paper?
5: It's all made of paper, and so I take... um, In bookmaking, you do a lot of stabbing holes in paper and sewing paper. So I got really, really comfortable sewing paper. So I basically, um, the same way that you would make a quilt pattern out of fabric, I cut squares and triangles. In this instance, it's all squares and triangles. I'm not good at cutting circles. I didn't choose a pattern that had circles. (laughs) Um, And then would sew the paper pieces onto a paper base. So it's basically, and this in a sense is why the the project is titled uncovering. And I have a number of quilts, under the name uncovering and then they all have specific subtitles and the idea is that whereas a traditional quilt might be used to cover you and to to keep you warm and sort of give a sense of home, um, these quilts are uncoverings in the sense that a poem can be an uncovering Mm -hmm. in the ways that it helps us to think more attentively about Mm -hmm. language and about how power works in language and the relationship of the transmission of information to the political realities that we experience.
0: Can I ask why you picked the quilt?
5: Why I picked to do a quilt and not something else? Well, you
0: said that you have many quilts.
5: I have a couple, and I'm working on future ones. You I mean, wh- why quilts and not like chairs, I don't know what or chairs or rugs sofas or, or um shoes or right I mean, anything? Right, right, right. Well, I d- I'm not a cobbler. I don't know how to make shoes <laughs> with my own hands.
0: <parents. laughs> okay, got it. <laughs>
5: um, and I guess because it's very close to both bookmaking and knitting in some way. Mm. Um, and because I can, like, I don't know how to make a sofa execution. (laughs) And I also, I'm, I'm, I have a home in Los Angeles that I take off from and come back to, but I'm very nomadic. And, most of the photographs, like when people ask me, you know, send me a photo, and in relation to this show, I'll send a photograph of myself stitching in the car. Like I, so this is something that's totally portable and mobile, mm-hmm. but also is poem-like um, because I'm a poet. Supposedly, I mean, actually, I am a poet, and I do continue to write with words. You know, those that material we've all heard of, language, um, and. There's something about being textual and be sort of the two-dimensionality yeah. mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. the, of the quilt that feels bookish or poemish in a mm-hmm. way that I think a sofa or a pair of shoes, much as I might appreciate those forms, feel more sculptural than, mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. poetic.
0: Good. Got it.
3: One of Jen's um, ongoing projects, one of the things she does professionally as a writer uh, is to work in translation. I she translates works. And one of the things you do is um please say it uh, uh oh, the so escritorio publico, publico. yeah <laughs> say it again yeah por- <laughs>
5: escritorio publico i write letters for people on the street mm-hmm. at my grandmother's old typewriter i charge two dollars for a letter three dollars for a love letter and five dollars for an illicit love letter so this is actually not my only job fyi <laughs> <laughs> given the prices that i charge and the
3: and i <laughs> Done it with her before. She's she wrote a letter to one of my bandmates, who's a dear friend of mine in Seattle, Greta Harley. She's a composer, and the intimacy with it was was amazing. But it was all in in Spanish, which was so cool, you know. And so I'm wondering if that's also informed the idea of putting the putting words in a different medium. You know what I mean with the quilting and using different mediums to sort of express the poetic. And in Mm -hmm. some ways you're using that assemblage as poetics Mm -hmm. in a way.
5: Well, I think all the time about the transfer of meaning from one Mm -hmm. space or Mm -hmm. mode to another, whether that's from one language, Spanish, to another language, English, which are two totally different modes and ways of understanding the world, or just to think about how we translate what we perceive and what we think about into a piece of art or... Um, a piece of writing or something we cook or right. whatever. I mean, there's, there's sort of an element of transfer in that. But I, I also think the word intimacy is important. I mean, there's something um, very intimate about what we, might, what we think, like a quilt. There's something about yeah. that very I mean, domestic about that. Absolutely. And also the link, I mean, the other thing to think about, for me anyway, like why a quilt and not a sofa, um, is sort of a very overt, on my part, desire to engage in quote-unquote women's work.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah, I was going to say it's like a, a it's craft, you know, mm-hmm. and that it connects really quickly to knitting, which you mm-hmm. you, do, you do all the time. So, right, like yeah, which I'm doing sense. now actually. Yeah,
5: now knitting as we speak. Yeah, yeah. And,
0: and it is it's a modern translation of of quilting too. And I think that mm-hmm. um, I'm really interested to hear you talk more about this. Um, kind of, again, turning something on its head to go back to certain power, um, the power of literacy and how important that is in some cultures to, to have someone who will write something for you if you don't know how to write. When mm-hmm. I just find that fascinating. People can make it to the end of their life and they don't know how to write, but they do know how to speak.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. I used to teach um, in spaces where uh, underserved uh, kids were orally literate but not they couldn't write and it was it was really interesting to watch that moment when they were sort of taking that what they had did have and and translate that and I can understand that process of translation.
5: Well, I had also a really interesting experience and then I would actually love to hear Kelly talk yeah, about her so. work but in terms of literacy I I mean one of the other things I think I'm responding to both with the Escritorio Publico project and with the quilting project or with bookmaking and knitting is how many people find poetry incomprehensible, and I'm sure, right. Tess, you have experienced this yes. as well. I'll, people go, what do you do? And I'll say, I'm a poet, and they'll just give me this totally yeah. blank look. Or they'll overtly say, oh, I hate poetry. Yeah. Yeah. And right I'm now. like, this does not happen to my musician friends. right? Yeah. Like, You don't say, oh, I'm a musician. Oh, I hate music. Yeah. You know, yeah. This never happens. But I got really tired of being oh, like, well, this it. is really meaningful to me. And this way of making work and experiencing other people's work has radicalized my thinking, but it obviously doesn't function that way for very many other people. And it's not necessarily about the numbers of people, but I had a fascinating experience. One of the people who donated paper materials to me in Wendover is one of the owners of the hardware store in Wendover who's become friends, they've become friends of mine. And she loves the Quilted Poem Project and totally gets it like instantaneously. And... Um, she's a person who's more comfortable in Spanish than English, and I don't know much about her education, but I can't imagine she has, living in Wendover, not a ton of experience interacting with different art forms. Mm -hmm. Um, but she totally gets the quilt. We had a fantastic conversation about it. She asked to see one of my poems, and I showed it to her, and it was really, really hard for her to to find a way in Mm. to to my Mm. approach to using language, even though... I was showing her a collage cut-up poem that's actually not that different, in a sense, from yes. these quilt pieces. But there's something about making work that can be legible to all different kinds mm-hmm. of people that doesn't have a sense, uh, and this relates directly, I think, to what we try to do in the mm-hmm. bicycling mm-hmm. community, that doesn't have a sense of exclusivity and, and, and Tyler, to it. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. right.
0: right. That it really because is it is everyone. that,
3: the po- poetry, I think, it, Emerson, God bless you, just kind of elevating the poet beyond the sort of everyday man, which is so wrong in a way. You know, as much as I love Emerson for some things, but that just Emersonian idea of poetry being this—the the language of the beyond. You know, this pastoral enlightenment. So it's just interesting because I like that you're reclaiming the, that. I like that you're reclaiming mm-hmm. poetics in that context. So.
5: But it's not a dumbing down at no, all, right? Absolutely. It's just like a kind of humility, no. you know, like there's some other conversation I want to be part of. And it's, so how can I be part of that exactly, conversation?
3: Exactly. Yeah.
5: But what I like about
4: it also is that it's holding on to asserting language as part of it, because mm-hmm. I feel like that mm-hmm. that's one. I was actually talking to your friend JP about that, about the idea that. You know, we're so inundated with, you know, self, with the smartphones and right. inter- internet and, and with visual culture, you know, like right. even even thinking, tying it back to bicycling, that like cycling as a cultural concept is all about like, you know, the photographs and, you know, YouTube videos right. of people doing tricks on their bikes. And, yeah. you know, that there's, but, but there is sadly a lack of, of literacy or the ability to write a complete sentence right. among young folks these days yeah. that you know it's, I think it's nice to keep those things together and assert the, the
3: language part of it mm-hmm. in an orga- mm-hmm. such an organic right. way and visceral way
4: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: so Bike it portraits of my BC Pandilla so what's the gener- what started that where, where did you what was the jumping off point for that it's a both a book and then uh, from the series of photographs that you took mm-hmm. and you used a large scale camera yes okay and
4: yeah. where is it Oh, at the Armory Center for the Arts in Pasadena.
0: For how long? <laughs> Dot
4: org. Um, from August 18th to October 2nd.
0: And can people ride their bikes there?
4: Yes, you can. And in fact, um, if you don't like the idea of riding up what I call a lead-butt hill, yeah. the sort of like <laughs> inclines that seem to never end, you don't see the top of the hill, which, yeah. which go, getting to Pasadena has a tendency to feel like, you can um, take the gold line, up to the Memorial Park stop, push your bike up to, um, I think it's <laughs> Union, and then just ride a block and go right on Raymond, and the armory's right there, and then you can ride home to all back down to downhill. Downhill, all downhill. <laughs> that's, that's what I
2: did
3: at the opening. Yeah. <laughs> Me like, too. Sean was like, oh, you rode here. I'm like, kind of. Kelly's brother. Yeah. Like,
4: kind of. So tell us, tell us about it. Yeah, so um, my background as an artist begins um, with, the, with the camera, and so it was a nice way for me to reconnect with my, back, my past as a photographer, and what happened was um, I think one of my bicycling buddies, Monica Howe, a.k.a. La Muff, Muff Master Flash, um, she <laughs> had a 4x5 camera that she had used when she was going to Art Center, and she made me aware that she had it and it was available to borrow. And I just was thinking, you know, I would really love to take portraits of my bike buddies because I had such love for them and their bicycles. And so... um, I thought that what was really great about using the 4x5 is that this camera was I guess she bought it used and it, it, it was was took photos of the May um, company the you know the department store okay. that's, that was on Fairfax and Wilshire, Wilshire you yeah. was used to take photos of their Wow for their you know catalog that? Monica told me oh, wow. wow and so it's that's a camera that is pretty much... Like a camera that, say, Matthew Brady, the great landscape photographer from the mid to late 1800s, mm-hmm. would use. Like it hasn't changed much, and the bicycle is exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Like the bicycle pretty much hasn't really improved, in my opinion. I don't, I don't go for brifters um, <laughs> since its initial invention. And you know, <laughs> engineer <laughs> our James engineer Jake like gives Robert. me the, the, the power fist. Yeah you know and so it just like Jim Bledsoe he thinks that too that it's the greatest invention since the industrial age and so I liked the idea of marrying those two basic things together and as part of it I wanted to then also I had an an idea in mind that I wanted to create like a paperback book um, that you could put into your back pocket Um, and so the idea was okay well let's make a book because I also have a background as a zine maker and so um It was to ask people the question as I was taking their portrait. What do you ride? How do you ride? And why do you ride? And so um, I had to nag people to get those great answers that they gave me, um, sending me via email. And so then you know I tried soliciting publishers for the book and wasn't really having much luck. Like I sort of think it was kind of a the misfortune of timing in a way it was be- just before bicycle culture as a right. you know concept was a big get rich quick scheme and so um, yeah so i ended up self publishing it through lulu.com and what i really where wanted it's still available yeah we're still yeah. available lulu.com i'm going to set it up so you can say something and get a little discount but um, and then I really wanted for the project to have a show of the photos all together, and I was fortunate enough to be part of a couple of really great shows with some of the photos, like the um, the show that was at the Craft and Folk Art Museum, wow. the solar ovens show that the Journal of Aesthetics and Protest put okay. on. So that was in the early um, genesis of the project, and then I um, exhibited a couple of poster-sized images for a bicycle film festival mm-hmm. joy ride show which is I where i, think I met that's you where i met you yeah, yeah exactly where i met tess and so what ended up happening was that irene satsos who is a program director at at the or gallery um miss speaking her title i have to figure that figure that out she at um the armory she um and i had worked together on a show at lace called civic matters and so she sent me an email and said hey you know i never got your book how can i get it She got the book, and then she sent me an email a few weeks later saying, you know, there's a show up at the Armory that's going to happen in September called Street Sites that's all about street photography from, like, the 70s um, that shows photographs of the the street, like, from a car. And I think it would be a really nice companion to show some of your Mm -hmm. portraits with that. And I really love the introductory poem That Jen Hoffer had um, given me to use as as the intro to the book and so she wanted to include Jen's words as part of the show and so we met and talked and devised a way to install the excerpt from the book as vinyl text along the wall with the photographs
3: I really um, I've seen, like I said, I saw them at Joyride, some of the pieces but as a photographer, definitely, technically, I was blown away. My friend Juliana that was there that I introduced to you, she's a photographer as well. And we were both just like, okay, we're totally inspired, you know. It was really amazing. But one of the things that really struck me, um, certainly with Monica's image, was really you captured folks' relationships with their bicycles mm-hmm. in a way that isn't... It really shows the... Um, just an organic relationship with it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was an intention, really, or if it, you were really sort of lovingly capturing these folks that you've worked with, organized with, you know, hung out with, but it, you it, you did su- succeed in that, sort of showing that relationship without it, with it being very natural. Mm. And I'm wondering if that was sort of something that informed you, that you really wanted to just show the relationship with the bicycle. or Was it more, what was it? Did you have sort of the controlling metaphor theme around it besides well, just shooting Bicycle Friends?
4: Well, no, I mean, you know, what's what's really, um, I mean... Because at the time when I first met the folks from the bicycle kitchen, you know, I was going to critical mass bike rides and there were literally like my very first critical mass bike ride. um, Well, my very first critical mass bike ride was at the Democratic National Convention in 2002, (laughs) which was the which was actually the biggest protest part of that um, that event where there were 300 cyclists and they ended up having the most mass arrests. There were 70 arrests and I was one of the lucky people who got away. And so then I did not go to another critical mass bike ride until, like, about a year later because I finally got my own bike. Like, I actually had ridden a a borrowed bike at that one. And um, when I went to that first critical mass bike ride, there were literally five people. It was me, Joe Linton. (laughs) Here in L.A. Yeah, Yeah. Maria Ambriz, Aaron Salinger, and then Aaron's friend, Eddie. And we, like, you know, rode around, and then we went to Thai food, you know? So... So I have, you know, that's <laughs> kind of awesome. funny. funny. Is that that's like awesome. a critical mass lit? <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know, a critical massita. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Little
3: mass. Yeah, that's little mass. That's awesome. That's yeah, great.
4: Little <laughs> <laughs> yeah, little so, so, you know, I mean, I like, and then that's how I met Liz and Shay I was on critical mass bike rides. That's how I met uh, DJ Chicken Leather, Randy Metz, you know, the downtown L.A. cycling messengers. And so I have this huge love for yeah. these folks. That's where it you comes from. You can definitely
3: see it in the photos for sure. Um, I mean, it is, you do, you are in them. I mean, you can see your gaze in them. They're, mm-hmm. It's so loving and, and respectful. But you do have a distance as well that allows them their presence and and it's great. Like I immediately, this is the one I saw of you, Jen. It's just so perfect, you know. And like I said, the one with Monica really stood out to, to me as well.
0: How many portraits are there?
4: Uh, well, total, I ended up taking about sixty photographs, and I think in the I don't know how many I used in the book, but in the show, there's only fifteen. Okay,
0: and all that's pretty, ages.
4: Um. Yeah, I guess a wide range of ages. Yeah, like Jim Bledsoe, probably, you probably hate to hear this, but he's probably the oldest guy in the book. (laughs) And young, yeah, I think younger, youngest, May you know, probably not, not younger than your mid-twenties, you know.
5: When I was a kid, I was involved, and we had a, a family friend who was a photographer, and she did a book on families, portraits of families, all different kinds of families, and hilariously my family. I have... Um, Two parents who are heterosexual And are actually still married now 40 years later or whatever And then I have a sister So there's 2.2 I don't know where the point two kids is But there was two kids And Uh two parents who are married Who are straight and we were the quote-unquote normal family. My family is like the least normal family I <laughs> could exactly. possibly imagine in terms of personality. <laughs> yeah. But she did this really interesting project where 11 years after the... And so the, the, other, the other families were totally rainbow families, like, you know, whatever number of parents, whatever number of kids, foster kids, like everything you could possibly imagine under the rubric of family. 11 years later, she took portraits of the same families. Hmm. And it would wow. be really interesting. One of the things we were talking about in the show at the opening, looking around at these photographs was how much has changed in yes, our lives right. since yeah. then how many people under 3 years of age would be in these photographs now if you took right. if you retook the photographs right. for yeah. instance mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. it just mm-hmm. all different kinds of changes
3: it, it was yeah. interesting because i've known a few of the folks for maybe a couple years mm-hmm. um and it was interesting to see you know jp and folks you know god everyone looks so young and it was interesting to see when you were uh, reading Jen uh, from people's statements, mm-hmm. and you were asking one of the uh, women that was in it if she still felt the same way, you know about about it because they they had statements. Each photograph, of the, as Kelly said, they get to respond to, to the question, right. and it's it was really interesting because Jen's like, you know, if you still feel this way, get up and read your statement, because <laughs> yeah. it was it was really great. Was there anything you walked away with particularly that you didn't? What did, was there anything that just blew your mind? Working on the project and that you really learned from it or walked away from.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I I think what I I, 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 what blew my mind was how much things have changed with photography. That you know, embarking on a four by five photo project was really financially like that's why it took me a few years to finish the project. And just the idea that okay, it's pretty easy to um, you know self publish a book. in in this digital age and how great that was to have that access, but how difficult it was to figure out how to get a four by five negative digitized because to get like a drum scan was really of 60 negatives was really financially out of my reach. So I ended up, you know, borrowing like somebody's desktop scanner to do it. And um, yeah, yeah, that was one thing. And then um, just another thing was just how fleeting it is, you know, how, yeah, how things
3: change. But it's an it's a great moment that you caught though because you can really feel the community seeing it seeing one or two on the walls of joyride was awesome in context but seeing the whole thing
4: mm-hmm. together
3: was and i'm now i love cycling and i have made such good friends around cycling and found this almost a whole other person in myself you know mm-hmm. so it was really great because you could see that in every in everybody mm. in, in those images so i I thought it was great, and I'm really. Exci- I was really excited to see the whole thing together. Yeah. And uh, I, I agree with about self publishing. I've done it too, and it's just so it's empowering. Yeah. To know just like with relying on a record label, not having to do that anymore, right? It's yeah. It's super yeah, empowering sure. yeah. and mm-hmm. really amazing. So, um, and then sort of one of the things I wanted to talk about before we kind of wrap up was uh, the sort of do you see an intersection between art and cycling besides just topically sort of your your top your your topic of of your show and and jen i kind of see possibly you were talking earlier about your relationship to the environment and maybe that informing the sort of medium that you took with Mm -hmm. the found objects do you see either a philosophical relationship between cycling and art I was kind of pushing you on this in the email interview about i don't know i see cycling as a ritual it's helped Mm -hmm. me so much and i understand now, because as a crafter and a rider, like the craft in some ways of cycling. And I just wondered what your responses might be on that. Like, where does it intersect besides, you know, pictures of bicycling or, right, or right. sort of the topical? Where does it go? Do you see it going anywhere deeper, or a philosophical, philosophical integration of it?
4: Yeah, I mean, well when Irene Sotsos, um she had worked with Jimmy Lazama, one of the co-founders of the bicycle kitchen um, at Lace, and she was going to be guest curating at Lace this residency exchange program with Scandinavian artists back in 2006 called Civic Matters. And she, inv- she knew Jimmy you know was at the bicycle kitchen and she invited, she invited the bicycle kitchen to be part of the exchange. And so she and I understood what her invitation was about. And as an artist, um, I responded and offered to kind of head that head up our involvement with that, um, which was an unusual project for the Bicycle Kitchen to be involved with an art project. But it made at the time it made and it still does make a lot of sense to me that it makes sense to insert bicycling into the practice of social craft, you know, as an art art making Practice, but now, now I almost feel the resistance towards it in a way, and I think it's because it. I just, it's just so in, inundated, right? You know, in some ways, but definitely, it, it just. I guess it does naturally feel. It, it feels connected.
0: I had. How is it inundated? Can you talk a little bit more well, about what you mean just, by
4: that? You know, just that there's just that there's so there's so much graphically. Um, you know, there's so much graphics around bicycling. There's so much um, photog- photography around, you know, fixed gear culture. There's film, you know, the bicycle film festival. Like it's just everywhere that it almost feels like a sat, maybe inundate, like a saturation level almost. Right, yeah. You know that it's just it's mm-hmm. a, a, and like naturally assumptive in a way that that now seems to me. Less um, politicized than it than mm-hmm. it, right. could have, it mm-hmm. was earlier, maybe. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's lost in power. Maybe ma- this is just maybe my own personal opinion. Yeah, but yeah.
3: But I have friends, you know, old school cyclists, messengers, artists who feel somewhat similar. Sim- similarly, I felt that way with the '90s alternative Zine. music scene. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. playing in it, helped build it, yeah, and yeah. then saw it get completely trashed yeah you know by by the industry
5: consumer but exactly. i think i think it's so. about consumerism and industry less exactly. less than being yeah, about I mean, art and cycling because right. i think about what it felt like to be queer 20 years ago right. and, and for instance what it felt like to go to pride when i was in my late teens right. growing up in the bay area i don't go to pride in san francisco anymore i mean i might if i were there i'm not there but it's become so much more commercialized than it used to be and i mean and also just sort of like the gay or lesbian person seen as uh the subject of advertising like which didn't used to exist at all and it's like that's like some sad collateral (laughs) damage of becoming sort of more accepted in the world is that then you get advertised to or something Mm -hmm. so i see it more as that but I was going to respond to your question. Unfortunately, I had three responses. I which check it now. Only remember two, which okay. always happens to me. But um, one is that for me, the um, quality of attention and of noticing that comes from art making and that comes from bicycling, oh, I remember the third one, I knew I would, is, um, is almost exactly the same, even though the activities right. are totally different. So in that sense, um, if art is less the product we make and more the approach we take to things, mm-hmm. then cycling mm-hmm. is art. Right. Um I also do my best thinking either in the shower or on the bike. I'm not usually on the bike, in the totally. shower. Totally. <laughs> yeah.
0: Although
5: that um, could be not, cool not in Los Angeles. Right? <laughs> no, yeah, you exactly. Know. Sounds like exactly. a subject for bike form. Yeah. I know. That's for the triple yeah. X, yeah. C-H-I-X-X-X on bikes. Bike <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um, but so in that sense, it is art practice because anything yeah. I can do to help myself th- think through the problems and challenges I find in my work, I want to do more of. So, you know, I, I often think, don't get up from the computer. You need to sit there until the work is done. And if every time, if I just get up and get on the bike for yeah. even half an hour, it it's you. much. But, but somehow every day I forget that that's the case. And it, I try Perfect. to force myself to stay at the computer. It's like so stupid. Um, and then the third thing, I actually wanted to mention this but way before when we were talking about sort of people's negative reaction to being a poet. And I was, Anne, connected to sort of my feeling like, oh, the bicycle kitchen people were going to be too cool for me. I couldn't go there. And There was a a while I was completely sure that I was way too dorky for people at the bicycle kitchen, right? Like not sporty, (laughs) nerdy. And it was amazing to me when people at the kitchen started asking about my work and expressing a desire to see my work. And I organized a couple of rides um, through the Whirly Girls that were poetry rides where I would write something specific. I would organize a ride around a text and write a text for wow, the ride. Cool. One, for instance, went to six yeah, different crazy. Exxon stations and it was an, against the yeah, war in Iraq. Yeah. Um, and it was, so it was a war, I mean, a poem about um, the war and about oil and about Exxon's involvement sort of, sort yeah. of peripherally in, in the capitalistic reasons that that war even exists. And there were like 50 people on that ride and I couldn't believe that... That, that people were, I thought, oh, I'm gonna st- we're going to stop at the gas station and I'll read my poems and everybody's going to be like off daydreaming or drinking a beer or whatever, and people totally listened and were, and were interested. And so that idea that you can bring your whole self into whatever space you're in, whether that's the bicycle kitchen or a bicycle ride with the Whirly Girls or any yeah. other group, was what? really amazing to me.
0: And the bicycle forces you to bring your whole self to it. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah.
5: Yeah.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. And something I wanted to, to respond to with that was that idea that I guess that that's what I'm reacting against is that to me, um, I sort of actually say this to, to the volunteers of the Bicycle Kitchen because um, it's a constantly changing group of folks is that, you know, you tend to talk about the Bicycle Kitchen as a third person, but that the, the, real, the reality is, is that it's a very now space, like right. the space is what it is because it's happening now. And that's the whole thing right. about cycling is that it's a very right. visceral now experience and and so that's the whole part for me that seems like I, I don't want i want i don't want that to get lost in the the art making the like prod project uh, sorry my tongue is twisting products, products. that are being made yeah. mm-hmm. you know that they're just it's just ending at this product that then we have to consume right. where it's like instead of you know consuming a poster of a you know bicycle or a, a a graphic or a photograph. I'd rather much rather be out with my friends riding my bike. Right.
5: Which is part of why we organized rides around Kelly's show and we hope that all you listeners out there in Radioland will come with us. Yes.
3: Yes. Yes. So I think that um, do you have any kind of we've confiscated so much <laughs> space in your show. Are you No
0: how are you doing? I I'm I'm great. I'm so excited and full up and just wonderfully ecstatic about everything we've talked about it's been really pleasure to to share this conversation with with all of you so oh thanks, thanks thank you thank you. Yeah.
2: thank
3: you both so much for for doing this and hauling your bikes and selves all the way out from from uh, highland park and surrounding down here to mid-wilshire and little ethiopia totally yeah. appreciate it and uh being part of this and you know this is a really cool thing april's doing and creating this really widespread community, really, in a very short amount of time. Yeah, that's so great. So we're re- really it's happy to have you and really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we just want to touch on before we go is info on both exhibits. So, Jen, where can we, when can we sort of have, since we're here in California, when can we, will you be putting anything online well, or anything that we can look at it? Yes,
5: there will be. There is a an online zine out of Belgium called Alligator. Okay. I don't know its URL, but if you Googled alligator zine, okay. I'm quite sure it would come up. Okay. And right now, this instant, you can see some of my daily news poems, which I make off out of the front page of the newspaper Sweet. every single day for a year. Um, <laughs> a week's worth of those poems are up there now. And then once I'm done documenting the installation of the quilted poem, that documentation and some pieces of the quilted poem will go up on that website. So unless you happen to be in Wendover, Utah, and
3: when will there be an opening? Will there be? I don't
5: know exactly. I'm going to install it definitely by mid-November. If not, okay. if I have time to go there in September, I will. Okay. And it will be up for a year, so there will be something.
3: Okay. Cool. Okay. And How's now- that
5: for specifics? Perfect. There will be something. No, it's great. It's, it's
0: absolutely great. Better than nothing. And
3: both April and I, I'll definitely post it on the Gloss Guide. A link to it, um, my bicycle blog. I'm sure April will be putting stuff up on the Chicks on Bikes Facebook page about it. And then, Kelly, tell us about the duration of, of your show at the Armory.
4: Yeah, so it will come down on October 2nd where we will be doing the um, Whirly Girl Tea ride starting from Union Station at 2 p.m. You can, um, we had set our emails earlier. You can email Jen or I or text us um, to get directions of you know, where you can come and meet us up meet up with us, and we. Um, the, if you want to find out more information, you can go to the Armory Center for the Arts org to find out.
3: Okay, and then finally, how can people get involved with the Bicycle Kitchen if they're interested?
4: Yeah, they should definitely, you should go check out the Bicycle Kitchen's um, fabulous website that was designed by Dylan Haley of Type Goes Here. Um, the URL is www.bicyclekitchen.com. And um, if you are interested in becoming a cook, there's a volunteer page that gives you a bunch of info and an online form to fill out. And then you can just show up at the kitchen and say, hey,
5: I'm here to shadow. Where's my shadow workbook? Awesome. And if you live in other neighborhoods and perhaps want to do something closer to home, just to say. Yeah. mm -hmm. There are the right? seven bicycle co-ops mm-hmm. in the greater Los Angeles metropolitan area. Actually, Jen, if I may correct you, there's do. actually 14. <laughs> wow, I'm so behind awesome.
4: the
3: times. Because yeah. there's one in the valley, right? Yep. There, oh, they're there are two, two the in place. the valley. Two in, valley, two yeah. in the valley, mm-hmm. microwave, bike oven, mm-hmm. microwaves in... Culver City. Venice, in bike, of is in, bike oven is in, is in Highland, Highland Park, Park on, on Figueroa. By the
0: flying pigeon, right? Yes. All of that info is on the... By kitchen website. Yeah, actually, go to links. There's a link link to them. This one is related to this one is related to this one. Is yeah, right. exactly. One is. Yeah, that was a funny <laughs> thing.
4: Yeah. I do Very have cool. one request. Yes, Jen, do you remember the Whirly Girls chant? Yes, please <laughs> oh, <laughs> do it. Yay! We need to do it as a shout out to Kim Jensen. We do. Yes. Yes. I think I might
5: only remember the first oh, half man, though. Do I have... Okay, hold on.
3: One
4: Does time. it end at?
5: Just... As rocks and I need some... Yes. Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I'm a really girl, not a girly girl,
5: we're the really tough girls, as rocks, the girl in our same. knee socks. That's it. Um, rolling on our bicycles, tough as icicles, we're the really girls, not the girly girls. Okay. I can do that. Sadly, just, every, wait, why don't we teach it to April and yeah, Tess? And then we can please, all do it. Yeah, so here's okay, how it goes. Cool. Okay, so follow along. It goes. We're, we're the, the whirly girls, girls not the, the girly girls, girl. tough as rocks,
4: in, in our, our knee socks, knee rolling on our bicycles, th- tough as th- icicles,
5: we're, We're the, the whirly, whirly girls, not, not the girly, girly girls. girls. Okay, so that's right. the whole chant. Okay. Right? Let's
3: no. do call and response. Okay. Okay. Okay.
5: How would it go? Like we you two, and then us. We're the Whirly okay, Girls, yeah, and not the, and the Girly then girls? girls. Yeah. Or do you want to just do call and response? We're going to
3: repeat what you say. Okay. Okay. Exactly. This is our
5: hazing. You yeah. Know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. As you can see, it's yeah. really, really scary. What's funny is I have to
4: tell myself not to use because I, I changed the chant for my cat Burl, so he's <laughs> so, <I'm>, so, after, <laughs> so instead I have to say he doesn't wear knee socks. <laughs> say, Your cat wears knee socks. Yeah. No, he doesn't wear knee. socks. (laughs) awesome (laughs) okay
5: Okay. so do you want to do whole phrases or half phrases let's do just one at a time right okay Okay.
4: we're We're the whirly whirly
3: girls girls. we're the whirly girls
5: not the girly girls
3: girls. not the girly girls tough Tough as rocks tough as rocks in In our knee knee socks. socks in our knee socks
5: Rolling, Rolling on, on our bicycles. bicycles. Rolling, Rolling on, on our bicycles. bicycles. Tough as icicles. Tough as icicles. icicles. We're, We're the whirly girls. girls. We're the whirly girls. Not the girly girls. Not the girly,
3: Not the girly girls. girls. All <laughs> well, right, well, April, thank you so much for uh, letting me move in on your scene here and co You're an amazing
0: co host.
5: Thank I you, I Tess. It. Thank
0: you, Jen. Thank you both
5: for inviting us. Thank you. And thanks to Engineer Dave. And thanks, Engineer Dave, and
0: thanks, Kelly. Are we recording
3: this? Awesome. Now for more beer. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, for the last few minutes of the show, I'm going to do a book review. I decided to start doing book reviews because, well, it's summertime, and if you haven't, Dove into some fabulous books, then we're going to inspire you. Um, So I'm going to read a couple pages from this book that I've been reading, which is a bike-related book. I don't think we have to have bike-related books in our book review section of the show, but this just happens to be what I'm reading right now. It's called Take a Seat, and I decided to review it today because it really goes well with our theme of the show, which, again, is partnerships. So Dominic Gill is the author, and Dominic is a mountain climber, award-winning videographer, adventurer, and pioneer in a new era of global exploration. In 2010, his film Documenting the Trip, which he recounts in this book, Take a Seat, won a special jury award at the Banff Film Festival. I'm reading from the back of the book. So, Dominic took his tandem bike to Prudhoe Bay, Alaska and on June 16th, 2006, and by himself rode, well, got on the bike and started his journey to Argentina, 20,000 miles, and he... Um, The purpose was, the title of the book is Take a Seat. So the purpose of the journey was to fill the stoker seat on his tandem. And the whole book is about his encounters with people and his times of aloneness in the wilderness and his times of joy and hardship and pain and everything that he encounters is really wonderfully captured in this book. I was just thinking the other day, I wonder if he wrote a journal because the details in this book are so vivid. So anyways, again, the book is called Take a Seat. His name is Dominic Gill. He's actually doing this same journey again in Egypt. And um, here's a couple pages I'm going to read to you. By the time morning came at exactly 5.45 a.m. when the fluorescent tubes blinked on, I felt that while I had barely slept an hour, I had been close to being accepted among this bunch of men who were rising indifferent to the fact that dawn was barely creeping into the window, putting their hats on, stretching and shuffling out. Most would head out onto the street selling fruit, nuts, or trinkets for the day, making enough money to stay another night and hopefully take some back to their family in the country. I was, in comparison, impossibly rich, having no need to work, and instead bumping Achilles Achilles as his bike, sleepily back down the step onto the street to head south into the jungle. I shall never forget that night in that dormitory, the simple, unquestioning, and straightforward way in which they treated me, despite our differences. Any brave promises of joining me on the bike that I'd heard in the darkness the night before had, by the time we had all wiped sleep from our eyes, vanished. These people had to work. There was no time to have a play on a strange bicycle, other than perhaps a brief and wobbly circuit of a small courtyard before hefting a huge bundle of alfalfa or other produce and setting off for the day. The concept of international bicycle travel, inconceivable. Playtime, I was increasingly beginning to realize, was not an option for these people. Hence, I rarely picked up a companion when I rolled through communities in the countryside. Fields needed plowing, corn dehusking, cows milking, children and the elderly caring for None of which can be done easily from the uncomfortable back seat of a stranger's bicycle built for two. Alone, I swept down roads flanked by mineral rich volcanic soil, growing leafy crops, the rumble of the boiling river growing ever closer. My wheels rolled from tarmac onto soft black dirt, where only days before a volcanic eruption had triggered a mudslide that had carried the road down the hillside while people slept. Baños was a local tourist hotspot, the hot springs and volcanic attracting domestic tourists from the city as well as travelers like me. The only colonial main street was lined with sandwich boards, advertising, climbing trips, rafting adventures, or competitively priced pizza, all in English or something resembling it. Unlike Latacunga, I was unlikely to be able to afford a hostel here and so fell back to my well-practiced plan B. Hang out in the small square where Achilles would receive curious glances and tourists and locals alike would come and talk to me, perhaps bringing with them an offer of accommodation of some kind. It worked, and on this occasion the good Samaritan came in the form of Rodrigo, a local, excuse me, a local hotelier and textile shop owner who applauded my efforts before cycling with me up the hill out of the small town center. We arrived, not at his hotel, but at a house that lay empty and bare at the foot of the volcano, which was billowing fumes that mingled with the clouds brushing the tops of the deep, tangled forests above us. Rodrigo, a thick-set, bald man with a friendly brown face, trustingly gave me the keys, and after I'd swept a thin layer of volcanic dust off the bare floorboards and shifted some broken old furniture... I laid out my mat and sleeping bag, occupying a house that had lain vacant for more than a year. Since the threat of volcanic eruption left this part of the small city, being directly in the line of a mud or lava flow, largely empty, I spent three days walking in the valley from the thundering waterfalls deep in chasms where a permanent mist of water vapor encouraged vines and mosses to grow to the muddy slopes of the Tungahuruha whose crater puffed above me in the cloud. The dense knotwork of foliage on the volcano's steep slopes caused me to claw through the muddy ash, squeezing through gaps in giant root systems that had grown up since the last catastrophic eruption. Rodrigo, obviously inspired by my unique journey, decided to abandon his family and join me as I journeyed through the jungles that nudged up against the foothills of the Andes. That's a great place to stop. So I love this book. It's just been such a joy to read, and has really inspired me to um, do some more. Well, to really get into touring um, now that I have a bike built for it. I have about a hundred pages left of this book, but it's as the the as I finish it, I, I'm reflecting on how. This journey of self-discovery has had a profound impact on him, and he's continued to do this work. And he actually um, has used this concept of tandem cycling um, with uh, people with terminal illness, too. So, again, amazing hero, Dominic Gill. Check him out. He's got a Facebook page called All-Inclusive Adventure. And, yeah. Yeah. So that's the show for today. I hope you all have an amazing week, whatever you're up to. Please uh, go ahead and follow us on Facebook and send me an email, april at chicksonbikesradio.com. And we have a new Twitter handle, Chicks on Bikes Go. Have a great day. Bye.